If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. Uh, John 14. If you do not have a Bible of your own, there should be one up underneath the seat in front of you or one under you, and you can just grab one of those. And John is in the New Testament, uh, the fourth book of uh, that testament. Um, when, uh, when native converts of the island of Madagascar used, uh, used to present themselves for baptism, I was often asked of them, what led you to consider becoming a Christian? The answer was all, oftentimes given that the changed conduct of others who had become Christians was what first arrested their attention. How we live matters. How we handle trials and tribulations, conflict and fear of the unknown and all sorts of other situations speak to our character and ultimately to who we are in Christ and our trust in Him. Our lives should be markedly different than those who are outside of the Christian faith. How we live matters. It matters to those uh, who are in the faith, but also to those especially who are outside of the faith. And if you remember, at the end of chapter 12, Jesus ends his public ministry. And he begins a private ministry with his disciples, which first begins with him washing their feet, teaching them how to lead by serving. This, this chapters 13 through 17 are known as the farewell discourse because as he begins to, to leave his disciples and those who are following him, he is wanting to issue a few things at the end. So he, he talks about and gives an object lesson on leading by serving, by washing the disciples' feet. And then Jesus reminds them that all the world will know they are his disciples by how they love one another. By how they love one another. All the world will know who Christ is by how we love one another. He reminds them that in times of adversity, remembering Judas here that has just left the room to go and betray him, to go and turn him over uh, to the Roman officials, he, he, he reminds them that, as, that Peter will deny him, so in times of adversity, that they should not lose heart. They should not lose heart, but believe and trust in him. So as we pick up and read our text this morning, we are still in the midst of Jesus' teaching, this discourse. And he's encouraging them not to lose heart in his going Away. So let's read together. John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you in spirit. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot 
said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the, so that the world uh, may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Your word that is given to us to to transform us. To fashion and shape us and conform us to your image. To help us to understand how to love you more. And to obey all that you have commanded Lord, help us to understand what it is that you have for us this morning. May your spirit work in us and through us and among us. Lord, I pray for those in our midst this morning, Lord, who have hardened their heart towards the gospel, towards this good news of who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts, that you would unblind their eyes as you did for Paul that you would undeafen, deafened ears, that they would hear the good news of the gospel. That they would receive it and believe it and be transformed by it. Lord, I pray for many in this room who, who confess to be Christians. I pray that they would have a love and affection for you that would be demonstrated over and over and over again in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that how we love you and how we love one another is an example of your indwelling spirit in our lives. It is an obedience to your command that we would, that we would love each other in a way that is different from any other love in this world. So Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom in this and that your spirit would guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, one thing to take away from this sermon altogether is this, that you would take heart, that there is peace found in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Take heart, for there is peace found in Christ through the Holy Spirit. I wonder who's here this morning whose hearts are burdened who are heavy laden, who are walking in fear. Well, three separate times in this discourse, Jesus tells his disciple to not lo- disciples to not lose heart. 
or to take heart. It happens in chapter 14 when he instructs him that he is leaving to go and prepare a place for all those who would believe. That he would prepare a place with many rooms for us to live and work. A new heaven and a new earth. You see, this would have been an encouragement to the disciples. And it is an encouragement to us, to all those who would believe. And put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in our text today, we see that Jesus is going to reiterate the same exhortation to help the disciples and ultimately us understand that in his leaving that he will send a helper for us he has sent a helper and so two ways that I see Jesus giving instruction for them not to lose heart two ways the first one is this that love Jesus that we should love Jesus and keep his word very simply should love Jesus and keep His word. The second is this, that the helper has come. The helper has come. For them, the helper will come. For us, the helper has come. Look at verse 15 with me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Very simple. Very simple. As he finishes his exhortation to them of, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In my name, you will... Ask and I will do it. And in so doing, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then you go down to verse 21. He he reiterates and doubles down a few times on this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him. Again, he says it. If anyone loves me, in verse 23, he will... Keep my word. So there is a love and there is an obedience to keeping his commandments. There is a love. There is a delighting in Christ. There is a treasuring of who he is and what he has accomplished for us. There's a a sacrifice for sin. He has done for us that causes us to love and treasure and delight in Him and be satisfied in Him. That is what it means to to love. Love is the primary sign of faith. To the outside world, to those who are in Madagascar, it was what drew others to believe and receive the good news of the gospel. How they lived was an example that that drew them into believing who Jesus was. So love is this sign of faith and obeying Jesus' commands displays our love and our affection for Him. If you have no desire to obey Jesus, to to live how you want in this world, but yet claim to be Christian, you have no place in Him. We can't claim to know Christ and to despise other Christians, to live how we want to live. No, if we love Jesus, we will keep His commands. We will obey His word. We, we, we desire this. Now I realize, and I want to give us kind of, there's ditches on both sides of this as we read this. 
If you love me, he says, you will keep my commands. That is an expression of love, is that you will obey who, what I tell you to do from my word. But there's ditches here. One ditch is that if you just love Jesus, you can do whatever it is you want to do, and His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient to cover all of your sin, and it is. But it does not mean that you can live how you want to live. Paul addresses this in Romans when he says, Shall I sin so that grace may abound? What does he say? By no means. Absolutely not. How dare you? But if we, if we think this way, if we just love Jesus, and we just live how we want to live, and we create this liberalistic view of the word, that we can make it say whatever it is that we want it to say. The other ditch is this, that if you work hard enough and attempt to just stay perfect and follow all the commands of Jesus and help others to follow them as well, then that is the way that we obey. And then God will bless us more, He will bless us more than the other guy who's not obeying commands of Jesus. And that leads us to a place of legalism. Where the word, we are making the word say more than it actually says. No, what the word says is that if you love Jesus, if Jesus is sufficient for you, if Jesus is your delight, If Jesus is your satisfaction, you will obey His word. You will keep His word. The more that you love Jesus, the more you want to keep His word. Have you found this to be true in your life? The more that that my affection grows in Jesus, the more I grow in stature and wisdom as Jesus did in Luke 2.52, the more I understand Jesus' word, the more I love Him, and the more in turn I want to keep his word. But the inverse is true. The more that I, uh, I, the more I keep his word, the more I love him, the more affection I have for him from his word. So the more you love Jesus, the more you want to keep his word. And the more you love Jesus, the more you want to love others. You've seen this. Have you seen that as you've found your, uh, your grounding in God's word and your satisfaction in him? And you glory in your Redeemer. Man, I have much more patience. I have much more affection. I have much more love for my neighbor. And for my friends. And for those who are in the faith and outside the faith. So how do we, how do we know Jesus more? How do we, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. How do, we, how do we do this well? I believe in order to love Jesus more, we need to be in His Word. We need to be in His Word, reading His Word, understanding His Word, reveling in His Word. In J.I. Packer's book, he says that, he says that John Bunyan was a Bible beaver. It means that you get this picture of just all the time in the Word, just nibbling at the Word, just absorbing and and reveling in the Word. Nibbling at His Word, always in the Word. And I pray that that would be us. 
So in order to love Jesus more, uh, in order to love Jesus more, we need to be reading his word. In order to obey and to keep his commands, we need to know the word. How can you obey something if you don't know the rule to follow or the commands to follow? No, we, we obey and we seek to follow the commands that are there because of his word that is given to us. We seek to understand, seek to do these things. So in Luke chapter 7, there's this great parable that Jesus gives where a Pharisee comes in and asks him to eat with him. And so Jesus goes and he sits at the Pharisee's table and he he reclines at the table with him. And a woman of the city, a prostitute, comes in. And she is reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house and, and she brings an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, uh, she weeps and she begins to wet his feet with her tears. And begins to wipe them down with her hair. The Pharisee says this. He says, man, if this man were a prophet talking about Jesus, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. How dare her come in and and rub his feet with her tears. Jesus says back to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he gives this picture of a money lender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love me more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, you've judged rightly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Since I have entered your house, you've given me no water. To clean my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and she has wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but the time that she has entered into your house, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He says to Simon, although her sins are many, she is forgiven because she loved much. She loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So who's in the right here? He's pointing out that Simon has no love for who Jesus is. No love for who was in the midst of his house. Who was reclining at his table. But this woman off the street knew who Jesus was. And she loved and worshipped him at his feet. My question to you this morning, is this you? Do you love Jesus like this? Do people recognize who you, who you talk to, who are in your normal everyday conversations, know how much affection and love and satisfaction in Christ 
Do they recognize your adoration for who Jesus is and what He has done for you? In dying a death that you deserved. Taking the weight of all of your sin and all of your punishment for this woman who lives on the street. Although her sins are many, our sins are many. She is forgiven. Do you love Jesus like this? Do you worship Jesus like this? Are you desiring to obey and to keep His commands? Or is sin crouching at your door? That's the question for us this morning. Do we love Jesus? Do we seek to keep His commands? That's the first instruction. The second instruction here that He has given to the disciples and ultimately to us is that the Helper has come. The Helper has come. He says to them, if you love me, you will walk in obedience and you will keep my commands. And then, I will ask, I will pray to the Father. He's going to give you another helper. He's going to send a helper to be with you forever. This helper will be the spirit of truth, verse 17. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you. This is Jesus and will be in you, which is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? For those who are in Christ this morning, the way that we love Jesus more, the way that we obey His commands through reading His Word, but it is the Helper who comes and indwells us that helps us and guides us and shapes and finds this third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and now God the Holy Spirit. In dwelling us, He is the helper, the comforter, the advocate for us to the Father. And then we get this beautiful statement in verse 18. Jesus says to them and to us, You see, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. This is both... It's a dualistic um, thought here that Jesus gives. Number one, he is coming back to see them at Pentecost. But he's also going to be sending the Holy Spirit that will come to you. This is good news for us. That we are not left as orphans. That Jesus who saves us does not leave us to unto ourselves, but gives us and dwells in us a Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. I'm, I'm going away. I, I'm, I'm going to the cross. But you will see me. I will come back. Because I live, you also will live. That is our future hope. That in the resurrection, that faith in the resurrection, in the cross of Christ, that we will live. That Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. To give us an eternal hope that is in Him. 
Where is your hope this morning? Are, are you resting and loving in Christ, obeying His commands? Or are you following after the world? Verse 25. I've spoken these things to you while I'm still with you so that you understand. We get the explanation of who the helper is here in verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will, he will do some things for you. The Father will send the Holy Spirit. Just a few verses to illuminate this from the rest of the, of the New Testament. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We've all been given a manifestation of this Spirit. If you go back to verse 22, Judas says, I'm sorry, verse 21. The second half, he says, if you love me, you'll be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That means that the Holy Spirit will be manifest to all those who believe in the good news of the gospel. And how will you do this? And Jesus iterates again in verse 23. I will come to the person who loves me and keeps my word. Who loves me and keeps my word. Over and over and over again in the New Testament. There are many apostates who said, I love Jesus. He's the one. And then the world comes and snatches them up and they, walk, they, they go back into the world. I mean, you can't look in our churches today and not see just the, the evidence of the parable of the sower. Where some of it just falls and is eaten by birds. It never takes root. Others is on rocky soil. And it grows up and sprouts up really quickly. And then the, 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 the uh, prince of this world comes in and snatches it away. And then there's, there are those that, that, that grows up and it does fine. All of a sudden thorns and thistles come in and it just kind of dies away. But then there are some. There are some where the word takes root. And it grows. Fivefold and tenfold and a hundredfold. And the Spirit manifests itself and it grows in us. And it allows us to love the Lord and to keep His Word. After listening to the message of truth, Ephesians 1. The gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This promise that was given by Jesus that the One would come. The Helper, the Comforter. This word actually means helper here. The one that would come alongside of us. That would help us. And indwell us. He is, the, he is the pledge of our inheritance. So if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian. And you've been changed by the good news of the gospel. Indwelling inside of you a spirit that guides and shapes and convicts you and pricks your heart from sin. And leads you to a place of repentance. But if you're here this morning. And you're walking in unrepentant sin. I just want to warn you. 
you have no love for Jesus or your love for Jesus is light. And your walking in obedience is measured shortly. And I would just tell you to examine your heart this morning. To make sure that you are walking in the newness of life. That this is your inheritance. That you're trusting in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so this promise is, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And the Spirit does come. I will live and you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father. In that day came at Pentecost. And look what happens in, in this beautiful picture in Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance that others may understand. Acts 4, 8. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was coming and doing its work to build the church. That church is not a place. It is you, the church. To love Jesus, to obey His commands. Then in Acts 7, but He, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Over and over and over again, we're reminded of the Spirit's work in our lives. The Spirit's work is to convict us of our sin, to seal us to the day of redemption, that we may reach that eternal hope. In this passage, we're going to see more. Scott's going to preach more on this in a couple of weeks in John 16. We're going to get a, a larger picture of what the Helper does. But three things that I see here just really quickly that the Helper does for us in this passage. Look at verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. First Corinthians says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We have to have the Spirit in us to understand the commands of what Jesus is saying. And the Scriptures tell us So the Helper teaches us what we need to know to be a Christian. Opens our blinded eyes, undeafens our deafened ears, turns our hearts of stone towards to hearts of flesh and to receive the Spirit. The second thing that it sees... Uh, that it does for us is the uh, as it teaches you all things, it brings to remembrance what Christ has said to us. As we read the Bible, the Spirit works to illuminate our hearts, to receive and to understand these words, to bring to remembrance. I don't know if you've ever been talking to somebody and they've said something, and all of a sudden a verse popped in your mind, and you've been able to repeat at least a portion of that verse to somebody. You ever done that? That is the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance something that you've read and understood. And the third thing that the helper, helper, the comforter, the advocate gives us is peace. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus' peace, the Spirit, peace. I give to you. I give to you. Listen, look at what he says after this. Not as the world gives, do I give to you? What is the world's idea of peace? 
world's idea of peace is I have enough money in the bank, therefore it seems like I'd have peace. But we know that's not true, right? Or if I just had a, a better life, working towards a better life, a better job, all these things that the world says I must have, that I must work for the, the grand old American dream, I would be happy and content. No, you won't. The world says that you will, but we, we know it's just not true. No, I give you my peace. This does not mean that there will not be times when we have reason to feel worry or anxiety. But here's what it does mean. It it means that the anxiety and the worry, worry does not consume us. You ever been consumed by anxiety and worry so much so that, that, that you, you've, you've just rested on that and sat on that and didn't know what to do with it? I would just tell you to rest in Christ, to trust in Him. How, how do I know this? Because He says, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. He knows what our fears are. He knows where our hearts are, are, are to be going to where, there's tr- where, where they'll be troubled. He knows our propensity to sin in this way, to be anxious over nothing. But yet we will. We'll fight against the goads because it's who we are. We know that in the midst of this world, there will be trouble. We're told that. We're told that the ruler of this world, the prince of darkness, Satan himself, wants nothing more than to consume you with worry, and doubt and fear. Verse 29, now I have told you before it takes place, my leaving, so that when it does take place, you would believe that in my leaving, in my going to the cross, that you would believe. Look at verse 30. Hey, hey, I'm not going to talk to you much longer. I've only got a few, a little bit of time left. Remember, this is One night that we have here before he goes. This is Thursday evening before the Friday uh, Friday crucifixion. This is the night before. I don't have much more time with you. Because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I know what I'm supposed to do. That Jesus in obedience to to God's eternal plan, God's providential plan, that He would die the death that we deserved. That He would go to a cross and He would absorb the wrath of our sin. That He would fulfill the promise that's found in Genesis, the first gospel. There in Genesis 3.15, the first promise that Satan will bruise Jesus' heel. That will happen on the cross. But Jesus will crush his head. That's in view here, this beautiful promise that the ruler of this world is coming. And I'm going to do something that I'm commanded to do, which is to go to the cross. Because I need to fulfill the promise that God made that we made, the Godhead made. But take heart in this. I have come, he's going to say in chapter 16, 
Take heart, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, Christ wins. For those who have put their faith and trust in him, we win. We rest in him. Our peace is in him. The advocate, the helper, the comforter is here to help us in this endeavor. And so we rest in his peace. And in this, verse 28, second half, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Rejoice in this. We rejoice in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in his gospel. We rejoice in this. Romans 8, 9 tells us this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Do you... Love Jesus. Do you desire to keep his word? Do you find peace in Christ? Or do you find anxiety and worry and fear just consume you? I would tell you just to trust in Jesus. That you would accept what he has done for you. That you would believe in the good news of the gospel. That you would repent and turn away from your sin. And that you would walk by the Spirit. No longer gratifying the desires of this flesh. Of the flesh. Because we know that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And if you're constantly following after your own fleshly desires. And not resting in the Spirit and the peace and the love that comes from Christ. You need to repent. You need to repent and believe. Is your life marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? Is your life marked by these things? Or do you find yourself lacking patience and love and joy? I would just ask you that as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, to examine yourselves in this. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians tells us before taking the Lord's Supper that we should examine our own hearts to see where sin lies so that we actually don't bring judgment on our own heads. And so as the musicians come, and as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, I just would ask you, first of all, to, to take this time that we have to repent and turn away from your sin, to examine your hearts, to reflect on the goodness of Jesus, to reflect on his commands for us to do this. To observe this. To, to break the bread. To drink the juice. 
as a reflection of the good news of the gospel. That his broken body and his shed blood was enough for us. Have you believed this in your own heart? Have you trusted in this? Have you believed Jesus? He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way. There's no other way, as we found. So as we get ready to partake, and as we play this next song, we will come up together, partake. This is for the Christian. It's for the Christian who's walking in unrepentant in, in repentant sin. No, nope. Who is who is repenting of sin? Okay? Charlie Brown did. All right. Who is repenting of sin? This is for the Christian. You do not have to be a member here. You do not have to, um, you get, as long as you're in good standing with another church. But just ask that you would examine your hearts before we partake. So while we played this song, and as you're coming up, and as we're singing, as all I have is Christ, is that your anthem and plea today? All I have is Christ. If I get nothing else out of this world, if I don't have the good life, if trials and tribulations and difficulties are at my door, do I still have Christ as enough? That's a question for us. Let me pray. Jesus, this is your word. I pray that you would help us to love you more, to be obedient to who you are, to help us to walk in the newness of life, that the Spirit would work in us, call to our hearts to repent and believe the good news. I pray that we would do that this morning.